Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Weird game. Has that game even ended yet? Very strange. Like before the game came the news that Anthony Davis would start. Makes sense. It's an elimination game. You might as well throw everything you have at that game. And you have to assume that AD had heard some of the noise. Some of the noise about him. And what he had within him. So you had to know that he was going to give it a shot. And he did. And within seconds of the start of that game, it was pretty clear that that was not going to happen. That was not going to work. Clear that as much as I respect the guy for giving it a go, he really had no business being out there. I want to say that. I understand why he did it. I respect that he did it. He probably felt some pressure to do it. But if you were watching him even in warm-ups, you knew that was not going to work. And frankly, it's not his fault. You can't play on a busted groin and a hyperextended knee. Again, credit for trying, but there was no way that was going to work. And the fact of the matter is, it was actually pretty painful to watch. The Suns went right at him, naturally. He barely lasted more than five minutes, naturally. And again, it was not easy to watch. Hell, watching this guy get abused by Devin Booker and Chris Paul made me want to ice up. I needed the ice. Ice. And the ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Just watching this guy limp up and down the floor from the comfort of my home office. I was reaching for the ice and the ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. So, if you had the under on the six minutes proposition bet for how long AD was going to last, then you cash that ticket. Transition defense a must. Davis, I'm not sure he's going to be able to continue. It's the left groin, and down he goes. And it lasted all of five and a half minutes. Here he is trying Mm. to defend Booker and just cannot move. Uh Uh-oh! So it ended there. In fact, I would even say that it was over long before that. If you saw him warm up, you knew he had no shot. It was already over before the game even started. They made it official about five minutes after the ball went up. So he gave it a go. And again, I want to say I respect that. I just wonder how much of that was about his fire within and wanting to be there for his teammates. I'm not saying that's not the case. In fact, I know that's the case. However, I am curious about how much of that was over the fire that he was taking on social media and in the studio from the likes of Charles Barkley, who glossed him street clothes. Bottom line. street clothes, Davis. (laughs) My man, Chuck. The bottom line is this. I don't know exactly, exactly what put him out there, but it really doesn't matter because even if he could go, I'm not sure that would have made a difference anyway. Not the way Devin Booker was lighting them up last night. And here's the thing. It didn't really matter because Book was getting his early and often. Here comes Booker. Took a lot of shots. Got free. Hits his first offering. The gifted Booker. Backpedaling three. Got it. Bridges, great ball rotation, three, Booker, book it. Now they're knocking down their shots with confidence, and Devin Booker (laughs) is staying on script. Outside feeds to Booker, kicks it in again. Booker, three, another one. Here we go with Booker, another three. Oh, Booker cannot miss. He is on automatic. 22, six threes. Devin, Armani, Booker. His career high for threes was six. He had six in the first quarter last night. My man's a shark. He saw blood in the water. He went for the kill. 
by himself. This guy could have played one on five, and the Lakers still couldn't have done a damn thing to slow him down. Not the way he was shooting it. I mean, the dude just could not miss. Literally. He was six of six from three. And not only was he not missing, I'm not even sure that he was touching the rim. He was barely moving the net. It was comical. Actually, it was stupid. And then it was surgical. And it was clinical. And it was incredible. He had 17 straight in the first quarter. Again, remember when some fools thought that guy was just nothing but empty calories. That he was only putting up numbers that didn't really matter because he was the classic guy in the good stats, bad team category. Remember that? Yeah, well, that take was dumb then, and it's even dumber right now because there he was last night lighting up the defending champs on the road in a closeout game. So take your empty calories and shove them up your ass. I said last night, I'll say it again right now, Devin Booker is a superstar. Fact. Here is another thing worth pointing out about Booker. Yes, he played for some bad Phoenix teams over the years. He could have fought his way out of there and forced his way onto a better team, but he didn't do that. Now he's leading that team into the second round, and he's only 24. So if you're going to be inspired by Kobe and you're going to get ink of his message to you, be legendary, then you better live up to it. And last night he did just that. This guy had 22 in the first quarter. Tied the most points scored in a playoff first quarter in the last 25 years. That record was set earlier, a few hours in fact earlier, by Michael Porter Jr. So what I'm saying is there is a truckload of crazy young talent. When guys like LeBron and Steph do eventually move on, the league is in really, really good hands. And while Booker was lighting things up, the Lakers looked absolutely lost on offense and defense. Even worse, the Lakers, to me, they look disinterested. Like, where was the energy? Where was the sense of urgency? You're the freaking defending champs. In an elimination game, at home, and you come out and you fall behind by nearly 30? I mean, no shame in losing to the second-seeded Suns, but plenty of shame to show up like that in an elimination game. Again, I tweeted last night, they, they were in garbage time with eight and a half minutes to go in the first half. It looked like Devin Booker was playing five randos in a lunchtime, lunchtime run at the Y. And that first half was so brutal. It looked like the Lakers were just looking to spin clock and then hit the beach. It looked like they had plenty of places that they wanted to be, but Staples was not one of them. They had 14 points in the first quarter total. Devin Booker didn't just outscore them in the first quarter. He lapped them in the first quarter. And the second was not much better for the Lakers. Again, at one point, they were down 29. 29. But credit to them, just when I thought they were going to start breaking huddles with Cancun, just when I thought that they would have gone into halftime to clean out their lockers, they did come out. They had some energy. They had some effort in the third. They ramped it up on both ends. They started to get the occasional stop. They made a little run. LeBron was all of a sudden up and down the court. Wes Matthews was hitting the floor for loose balls, battling under the rim. KCP found some energy and was hitting shots. And for a moment, the fans were actually back in that game. It felt like an actual playoff game for a minute. The Lakers kept chipping away, kept chipping away. But then the second half did underline something I want to say about the Suns. They're not just good. They're tough. They're mentally tough. Because every single time the Lakers did make a run 
or the Lakers cut that lead to single digits, the Suns would hit a three. Booker, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, they just kept on doing it. What I'm saying is there is no way the Suns were going to allow for a Game 7. I love the way that roster is constructed. I love their young talent. I love their veteran experience. I love their collective grit. And I love their head coach, Monty Williams. Remember, it's not that long ago that the Suns looked like they were melting down. Remember? They were down two games to one. They had lost two straight in the series. Booker and Crowder got ejected at the end of game three. Chris Paul was all busted up. At that point, the defending champs looked like they had thrown the switch, and we might actually get that dream Clippers-Lakers matchup that we all wanted to see. But once again, AD got dinged, and then we lost that matchup that we all wanted to see. Suns were just too good, too tough, too good, and too much Booker for the Lakers. And here comes Chris Paul, and the Phoenix Suns will give it to Booker with a drive and a season high of 47. It wasn't just just that he threw it down the way he did. It's that he went up the floor talking junk, and I'm pretty sure he was saying, what, what, what? Yeah, that's what I thought, thought so. Just like I'm pretty sure that Jay Crowder was ejected on that play for salsa dancing. It looks like a technical foul call on Booker. Morris and I think it's Morris and I was going to say it was Crowder. Booker is gone and Crowder is gone. It looked like Crowder knew right away that he was ejected and gladly ran to the bench. It's pretty amazing. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a guy get run for salsa dancing. Sons are no fluke. The Suns are no joke, and Suns v. Nuggets is going to be awesome. The Lakers, meanwhile, have got to make some tough decisions moving forward, but it's pretty clear they're not going anywhere without AD or a healthy AD. You know, availability is your best ability, big man. I'm not saying that those injuries are your fault. Injuries are a part of the game, but I'll pose the question. Did you do everything in your power to prepare for this season and prevent those injuries? I'm just posing the question. Get on that Braun program this offseason because you and he and they aren't going anywhere without it. Old man Braun can't do this by himself. And he and they need to know they can count on you to put in the work. So put in the work. More on that and the Lakers overall still to come. Give the Suns credit, man. They're tough. They are tough. So really quickly, where does that leave the Lakers? The defending champs bounced in the first round. So are you feeling the stress of daily life? Do not let that stress weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or somebody like me, just trying to make it through a day tension-free, I've got your solution, Theragun. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. I'm telling you, this product is amazing. The Gen 4 Theragun does not just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, or an injury, or just relieve the stresses of everyday life, there simply is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The old screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. 
Just go to their site, check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. And Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers just like me and you. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash Rome. Theragun.com slash Rome. Do it right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. I'm telling you, this product is amazing. Theragun.com slash Rome. Theragun.com slash Rome. A couple of weeks back in the wake of the Smack Off 27 date announcement, I put up another poll on Twitter, and I asked the question, who do you think is the best caller of all time? First off, this is probably the only show in America that can ask that question because, well, for one, we have really, really good callers. Number two, because they're actually known to the listening audience by name. Both things that I am very proud of. So when you post a poll to Twitter, you're allowed a maximum of four options. The four options I provided were, and again, question being, who's the best caller ever? The four options were Sean the Cabalan Asian, Brad and Corona, Left in Laguna, and Other. A lot of people were pissed at the three callers that I name-checked in that poll. Now, I know the entire point of a poll is to create a debate. But you can't argue with those three, right? I mean, you can try, but it's futile. It's, it's just wrong. These are the three most decorated smack-off callers in program history. Shawnee has five straps. Brad's got five. Left is not that far behind. He's got three. He's your defending champ. We've done 26 smack-offs. Exactly half the straps are divided among the three of these guys. So there is no debate. When it comes to the question, who's the best caller ever, those three guys get name-checked on a poll without question. We can debate who among those three should win, but you can't debate whether or not those three should be on the poll. So, Brad gets 44% of the vote. Shawnee, 22. Left, 9%. And then the right-in option gets 25%. So plenty of takeaways, starting with the fact that an overwhelming majority of you think that Brad is the best of all time. That said, Shawnee is still getting a lot of respect despite not winning one since 07. And Lef, even though 9% does not seem like a lot, still not that bad. Pretty impressive when you consider he came along in 2014. And in just six years, one out of 10 people think that he's the best to ever do it. So he deserved to be on that poll, and he did get some run, and it was good to see that. But what I want to talk about is the 25% of the people who don't think that it's any of those three. Let's talk about the incredible reaction in the comments section, the names from yesteryear that popped up. Now, if you're an old-school Jungle listener, you will love this segment. Let me reverse engineer this. Let me start in reverse order. From the names I saw the least to the names I saw the most. All right? Now, let me ask you this. Do you go far enough back that you recognize this voice? Caleb, you are the worst thing to come out of Wisconsin on Twitter since Brett Favre whipped out little Brett. Do you know who that is? That's Willie in KC. And he did get some run in the comments section. He was in one smack off. Just one, way back in 03, but, and then he did get banned, but he did, 
he did have some memorable moments, didn't he? Specifically in song. He might be the guy that started the entire genre, in fact, singing on the show. Here's a small taste of his most famous original. I met the women of Wisconsin at a Rome tour stop where they eat from a trough like pigs and slop up in Madison. Moo, 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 Madison. She walked up on all fours, I'm not quite sure how. I asked where she's from, and in the voice of a cow, she said, Madison. Moo, 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 Madison. Most of the women are portly but kind until a church bell rings and it's milking time up in Madison. Moo, 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 Madison. This dude. And how ironic is it that all those years ago, he's killing Madison and Wisconsin and the women of Wisconsin, and I would end up sending our son to Wisconsin. I mean, was Jake even born when that song dropped? I think maybe not. Maybe not. So Willie's known for that. Willie also dropped this Born in the USA parody about Father's Day in the NBA in his one and only smack-off call. The NBA might have had its lowest Nielsen ratings in league history, but if you take a second look, Game 6 had the most viewers between the ages of 5 and 15 in television history because that game was played on the most confusing day in the NBA, Father's Day. Father's Day, I asked, Mom, what's the word? She said, son, I think your daddy might be Larry Bird. I said, the hick from French, Nick, is that the man you say? She said, son, bet even money, daddy's Dr. J. Now, born in the NBA, I was born in the NBA now. Born in the NBA, and I have no idea who my daddy is today. Now, Kareem Jablunt, he offered mom some hemp. Oh, Lord, don't tell me there's a chance my daddy is Sean Kemp. You wonder why that guy got banned. That is insane. 18 years ago, that's the type of thing you heard on this show. Willie in KC. <laughs> so he was getting some writing consideration. <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway, what's popping Twitter? Another name that I saw a few times in the comments section was none other than Otis in Austin. <laughs> Otis in Austin. Before, <laughs> before there was Jerome in Houston. There was this dude right here, Otis in Austin. Did you clones take a gander at the LSU women's basketball coach, Sue Gunner? I thought I'd accidentally changed the channel, was watching the Crip Keeper. Jesus, Palomino. If you look up the word skank in the dictionary, it'd give you a roadmap to her house. I just hope she gets out of California without Al Davis slipping her the tongue. Finally, memo to Willie. Vanilli and KC, I can't wait for the day when halfway through your call to the jungle, your zip-faced 17-year-old supervisor yells out at you for all the clones to hear, Willie, get off the phone, put on your paper hat, and get your ass back to work. We need some help at the drive through window. War pocket Hercules. God bless America. 
the home of the free because of the brave. I'm out! You know, I sometimes say this show used to be so much better than it is right now. It was. (laughs) Because of things like that. But times change. And you can't do things like that. And nor would I want to. But I will say Otis did appear in three straight smack-offs from 03 to 05. Has not been in the big dance ever since. Shout out to Otis. Now here's a name I love seeing. I don't play favorites. This guy was one of my favorite callers in the early, early days. Bobby in Brooklyn. When we didn't even have like penetration in that part of the country with the program. Bobby in Brooklyn. Bobby was in two smack-offs in the late 90s. Here is some of his ninth-place call from 1998. You know, Jim, it's been two long years since I first entered this year's jungle of ours. It's been two long years since I first coined the phrase that this year's jungle is concrete, baby. As concrete and rock hard, just as my streets back in Brooklyn are. And just like that old saying goes, I, too, know that Romy wasn't built in a day. So from that, I have styled myself. And I have taken my time. And with each and every call that I've made in the past two years, I've been laying down brick after brick after brick. And I've built myself a large, strong brick wall to separate myself from the rest of all these punk-ass clones. And now it's time for me to rip that wall down and pummel all you punk-ass clones. Now let me tell you this. The problem with all you clones is is that you'd rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Well, not to worry, because I'm here to save you all. So all you clones better just listen to me now and remember me later. Let me start off with the weakest of the week. Jim Harbaugh, what the hell gives you a right to think that you could come in here in this field today and play with the big boys? You're way out of your league, my man. Jim Harbaugh, I will crack you so fast and so hard with a head slap. I'll knock your ass spinning back into the ground. The next number that you're going to be dialing is going to be called 1-800-COLLECT-A-CLUE. 1-800-COLLECT-A-CLUE. Bobby in Brooklyn threatening violence against Jim Harbaugh that day. Tell that clone to get a life. My man, Bobby in Brooklyn, he was a beauty. Yo, Bobbo, big shout out. I have no idea what happened to him. That was in 1998. Gotta love that, man. What a voice. What an attitude. Threatening people. Not just people, but Jim Harbaugh. Bobby in freaking Brooklyn. This is what the smack-off sounded like in 1998. It is the perfect season for a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Summer Sale Event. Save up to 45% on secure PCs built for business with Windows 10 Pro. You'll also find great savings on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and other accessories to help boost productivity. Plus, enjoy free shipping on everything. Do more with modern devices and Windows 10 Pro. Call 877-ASK-DELL for a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right tech. That's 877-ASK-DELL for business specials during Dell's Summer Sale Event. The name that came up quite a bit, quite a bit in the comments section was also Kerwin in Riverside. Jim, bienvenido al Ricky side, city where the family tree never branches, and only place on the planet where every home warranty is good at any paint and body shop in America. All right, it's been real. Yeah, it's been about as real as Marv Albert's toupee, okay? And as I step on toes and knock over furniture on my way out the door, let me leave you clones with one thing. This is the smack-off. It's not a book report, okay? Feelings get hurt. 
people die every day. Here's a very good way to tell if Chef Whitey is about to serve you up a plate of his world-famous fettuccine buzzer a la mode. Okay, now, if you've never finished the call, because Jim always cuts it off like Lorena did John Bobbitt. Jim, the main reason for my call today is to RSVP for the Sacramento Tour Stop. Now, clones, if you have not yet been to a tour stop, go to this one. Rain, snow, incarceration, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you have to strap a seat on Bobby Jackson's back and fly him over with those big-ass ears of his to the arena. Just make it there, because the last one was off the hinges, and SoCal's want this one to be just as good. After all, Arco is like our second home. The Lakers made sure of that. Kerwin was in four straight smack-offs from 97 to 2000. He nearly won the entire thing in 99 when he came in second. Unfortunately, I've not seen or heard from him since he stormed the studio with Lef 17 years after his last smack-off call. But he was an all-timer. Guess who else also got a ton of run, a ton of love in the poll? Of course, Jim in Fall River. For the love of God, would you networks please curtail the amount of extreme close-ups on one Andrew Pettit. Andy Pettit pitches with his mouth agape, and he has the eyes of a goat, okay? I I give him credit. He's a mean lefty. He's got a wicked sinker. But just because he glares at Posada like he's trying to burn a hole through Jorge's eyebrows with his mind doesn't necessarily mean he's any more focused than the other eight a-holes wearing pinstripes on the field. I mean, there are times when I hear that. And I've heard that a hundred times. There are times, though, when I hear that where I wonder if that was not the best call ever made. Certainly on the short list. The Andy Pettit call. Classic. Classic then. Classic now. Always will be. However, it might not even be the best call he ever made. It might not even be the thing that he is most well known for. Jim in Fall River will forever be known for this. You know, last night I was trying to cast a mental picture of what the jungle might sound like without the host, without the famous guests, without the facts and the emails, and without my takes. It wouldn't be a very appealing sound. I love trouble. For a few clones, I hate you all a-holes on the street. I avoid you at any cost. You are lined up to on my debut. Your prize will be a leg and a boot. Barking Mark in Buffalo. Just the fact alone that you chose Flutie to run smack on makes you look like the no-take wonder you are. I can't wait for you to break out with some Lance Armstrong or Eric Davis smack. You know, the only way you can win this thing is if you call on a cell phone while barrel-jumping Niagara. Bet you can't do it, buddy. Before Hassock arrived, Buffalo's greatest athlete was Bob McAdoo. Look how that turned out. The only thing Buffalo has over Craftchester is a chicken wing recipe that you didn't actually invent. Jim, 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 what is that? What is that animal in the background? She was Lizzie Borden, and the house now is a historically present. I never did get an answer to the question. (laughs) We all just assumed that it was a jackass or a donkey in the background. But why was there a donkey in the background of a smack off call? We'll never know. But it was an amazing moment with some amazing sound. Let's get to two more names. That I saw more than anybody else's. Starting with Doc Mike. Doc Mike was is a two-time champ. He was in every... Well, he was in the first smack-off back in 1995. And then the last event that he was in was 2012. In those 17 years, he made a lot of great phone calls. Including this one about NASCAR magazine. So I'm cruising through Barnes & Noble the other day, Jim. And I walked by the magazine wall. And there it is. 
sandwiched in between the WWF and Beanie Baby mags, NASCAR magazine. I thought it would be all pictures, you know, scratch and sniffs, word finds, connected two dots puzzles, but this issue was dedicated to the king, Richard Petty. Suffice it to say, dude is not handsome. His skin makes Dennis Connors look like an oil of Olead. And imagine my shock when I flip to the next page and see Michael Jordan. Jordan looks completely out of place because he's got only one chin and 28 teeth instead of vice versa. And here's Jordan doing a PSA for organ donation. Exactly what organ is a NASCAR fan going to be able to donate? Uh, lungs? No, they're charred. Uh, liver? No, it's now the size of a small car. Heart? No, it appears to have been deep fried. I mean, what's left? The uvula? Doc Mike, there was that, and then it got better. Doc Mike on Sedale 3. This is how dated this is. On Sedale 3, owing some child support payments in Arizona. Very nice to open the Fisher up this morning and see that former Laker guard Sedale 3 pled uh, not guilty to a charge of failing to pay child support yesterday. Earlier this month, Dude agreed to pay $172,000 in support for six of his children, and he also faces federal prosecution in Arizona, where he lives, for failure to pay child support for other children. Other children? Dude, Eight is Enough was only a TV show and a bad one at that. Put your back where it belongs and feel free to mix in a contraceptive every now and then. Sedale's like some rainbird sprinkler of just like randomly inseminating any woman who comes into his life for more than like, I don't know, five minutes. Can you... Can you believe the stuff that was said and done on this show back in the day? Anyway, shout out to Doc Mike. A legend's legend. And Brother Jeffrey, one of the best guys ever. So now we get to the obvious part. The name suggested the most as the best jungle caller ever. The guy competed in 15, never won one. And that pisses off a lot of people. You know who I'm talking about. He is regarded as the best to never rip a strap. He is Terrence in Sierra Madre. Welcome to the jungle, Martinsboro. But at least he's better off than poor old Steve Garvin, who has to constantly tell kids, no, I'm not your dad. I'm Steve Garvin, okay? You want Steve Garvey. He's the one who pumps chicks like a rabbit on crystal meth, not me. You want sport takes? Hey, go turn on Sports Center. This is a friggin' smack off. Hi, Freddy. He's a scared, coward a-hole. And if I ever meet him on the street, I will fight him. The only way Derek Jeter would ever get with Madonna is for a slump-busting drive-by. Is it just me, or is she starting to look like a dude? Sarah Jessica Terriot thinks McDonald is starting to look like Dee Snyder. What do you think of A-Rod? Brett from Corona. I'm assuming that's not Brett from Corona Del Mar, but Brett from Corona Del Trailer Park. Hey, as much as I enjoy hearing you put the wood to Iafredi, it seems to me your whole beef with him is based on the fact that he hasn't died yet. You know, I just hope when the years start creeping up on you, you will follow your own advice and hoist yourself up on a shower rod. And that reminds me, I have to disagree with LJ about Walton. Bill 217 may have dropped a few pocketfuls of acid down his horse-like pie hole during some Grateful Dead concert with his boy Jerry Garcia. He may even have put the wood to Patty Hearst, but I'm pretty sure he never burned any blunts. How proud he must have been to have lunch with a monkey, lunch with a monkey, lunch with a monkey. Top that, Whitey. But I'm guessing there's no drug testing at the X Games, or else there wouldn't be a single stoner left to compete. Hey, Dudes, no matter how good at it you are, there comes a time in every pothead's life when he has to put away the skateboard and move on. That time should come at age 13, not 33. I don't care. Hey, I'm telling you, how that guy never won is beyond me. But he never won. That said, 
Terrence, you are welcome to call on Friday, June 25th, and take a 16th shot. Regardless, he is one of the best to ever do it. I just wish that he still did it. And that's why I ran that poll. I ran it because I actually did care what you thought. And I just proved it by playing back all of your suggestions. Am I missing anybody at all? Is there somebody else who you think is the best caller of all time to the jungle? Then hit me up. Let me know. Smack off 27 is June 25th. Now we've got 21 days. Now we have just 15 shows. Player profiles and the promo are both coming back next week. But today I want to talk about the smack off this way. Hope that was good for you. Hope you enjoyed that. And that's the way this show used to sound back in the day. That's the type of thing that was permissible back in the day. That is the type of thing that we used to do back in the day. People used to call the program back in the day and say, no, no, kid. I'm Steve Garvin. Your dad is Steve Garvey. I'm Steve Garvin. I'm not your dad. He's the one that pumps chicks. Quote, end of quote. You've probably all thought this at one time or another. You know, I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Hey, listen, do not kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you have used any of these excuses or any others, you are putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2019, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. So no matter what kind of a car you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and you use ride-sharing services too. Law enforcement is on the lookout and writing tickets. Why would you take the risk? Seatbelts save lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every single trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Big head bets. An enormous betting weekend ahead, which means it's time for another installment of the big head himself. James Kelly, what's up, man? Happy birthday, dude. Thanks, Jim. I'll try and not, uh, you know, kill Tom Hanks like uh, Ritt did in his birthday segment. So, thank you. <laughs> well done. Dude, really quickly, what do you make of Tom some Hanks of those phone calls from back in the day? Oh, dude. I, I was a listener then, and oh my gosh, has, has time changed over the years. <laughs> Everything has. All oh, right. Dude. So, uh, here's something else that needs to change immediately. My luck. I got my ass kicked this week. I don't know about you. It did not go well for me, especially last night. So I'm looking for the big bounce back, and I'm looking to get right. So I hope you can help me get there. Let's get into this. Let me start something right off the top. Mm -hmm. Before we get to the bets, Ed, I know you've taken some heat for hitting the favorites. Last I checked, the idea was to make money, not lose money. The idea is to win the bet and not let everybody know how smart you think you are because nobody looks smart when they lose. What do you make of all this chalk hate that you're receiving? Dude, it's absolutely mind-numbing, Jim. I mean, it defies logic. And to be clear for the listeners out there, it's 90% of the time me minusing the points, not taking a money line play, like of minus 1,000 to beat a scrub. It's like me taking the Chiefs minus 17 to beat the Jets. I don't get it. I, I mean, I could go 3-0 and sometimes, and I, I honestly think they'd be happier if I went 0-3 and, and took the underdog in the points. <laughs> I don't think they understand the game. Okay, hopefully they do now, because some of you did need to hear that. All right, let's start. 
with the Clippers head. They looked yep. like they were DOA dead on arrival when they lost the first two games of that series, but then they roared back with a vengeance. They tied that series up at two games apiece, only to get punched in the face in game five. In other words, same as they ever were, and now they're facing yet another elimination game tonight. They're minus two and a half against the Mavs. How are you playing this one? Yeah, it's like we're in the same exact spot we were last Friday. Mavs in control and the Clippers backs against the wall. And like last Friday, Jim, I'm going Clippers again here minus the points. Look, Kawhi had his first bad playoff game of the series in Game 5. Before that, you could argue he was playing the best of anyone in the entire playoffs. I like him bouncing back. And also, a few trends I like for the Clippers here. As a home team against the spread, the Mavs are 15-23 and 23 with a 39% cover rate. Below, not good. Also, one day off, the Mavs only hit 45% of their games and haven't covered their past four on one day's rest. As long as Ty Lue keeps Zubach's ass planted on the bench, I love the Clippers here, minus two and a half. Take that for data. Clips, minus two and a half. That's the first pick. Then we've got that big-time matchup in the East, Nets and Bucks. I absolutely love that matchup. The Nets' big three have been able to gel more quickly than anybody expected. Head, they're good. Ask me, they may even be NBA Finals good, but they have to get through the Bucks first. And while I am sold on the big three, I'm still not sold on their defense overall, especially this time of year. So, while they're dangerous, I'm not sure I fully trust them yet. They're minus three and a half at home in game one. Who do you like there? I think these are the two best teams left in the NBA right now, Jim. Maybe Utah might be able to get in there, but this is the kind of uh, like an NBA Finals matchup to me right now. And in Game 1, I'll take the Nets minus the points here. Um, I just like a lot of the stuff that they've been doing lately. Um, Minnesota, the one uh, problem the Bucks have on the road as an underdog, they're 0-2 right now. Dude, they haven't breathe. been able to cover anything. Just breathe, man. <laughs> Uh, 0-2 on the road as an underdog. Away team, they're as bad as well. Um, I, uh, so I'm fascinated by the entire series here, and I think uh, it's going to I'm fascinated come down by how to... much trouble you're having with this take. What the hell's going on with you, Head? <laughs> Sorry, dude, something just popped up. Yeah, but, I, clearly. Okay, yeah, so right can, now can the Bucks... Can you focus be- for five minutes on the thing that's right in front of you, man? Be where your feet are, dude. <laughs> that's right. My feet are where the Bucks are at the three-point line. They can't cover the three-point line against the Nets. That's where they struggle, Jim. The Nets shoot the three-ball about better than anybody else, and up to this point, nobody is worse than Milwaukee there. But the rebounding advantage, Farrow Milwaukee, they're big. Their size is massive, and that's where the Nets are going to struggle here. Maybe DeAndre Jordan will come off the bench and actually get some play here. But I don't know if that's a fact because he hasn't played in the first two games. But Giannis has not been able to shoot the three-ball. He shot 6% in the first round. And I'm taking the Nets on Saturday for the first game here. Listen, dude, just you put everything else on DND until you're done with me, all right? I'm not telling you what you should do outside of this show, but whoever's blowing you up, tell them to sit the hell down for a minute. All right, now, plenty of clones like their NHL action. You and I have talked Mm -hmm. about this. I'm still surprised by it, but there are a lot of people who are getting down on the frozen pond. We knew Vegas and Colorado were on a collision course. We all knew that. What I did not expect to see was the Golden Knights getting blown out in game one, but that'll happen. Mm -hmm. Problem Mm -hmm. is, they didn't bounce back in game two, and now they've got to win four of the next five, starting with a must-win game three. How are you playing this one? 
Yeah, Colorado is a slight favorite here, and I think they will win this series. I think they're going to win the Stanley Cup, but man, I just I, I got to go Vegas here on the money line. You got the two best regular season teams playing against each other in the second round, very similar to the Bucks and the Nets. Colorado has won 14 of their past 15 games, Jim. Nathan McKinnon and his top line is the best in the NHL, but Mark andre Fleury seems to do well against the Avs. I'll take the Golden Knights at home. They struggled against Minnesota in the first round at home, but I think they're going to get right here. I'm going to go Minnesota minus 105 here. I'm sorry, Vegas minus 105 here. Wow, dude. You pull yourself together. Now I'm with you on that one. Vegas on the money line. All right, now listen. Uh, I don't expect you to go there. I think I already know the answer, but you don't actually see anything in baseball that you would consider hitting this weekend, do you? Well, you know, Jim, I uh, knocked it out of the park in football, 64%, I believe, in the regular season there. I did even better in NBA base, uh, NBA regular season and baseball. You know I'm going to go there, and I'm actually going to go to Cleveland. They're on the road against Baltimore today. Baltimore is hitting on 30 34% of their home covers, which is not good. They're also even worse when they have a day off. They're 2-7 and seven against the run line with time off. Second worst in the NHL are the entire uh, Major League Baseball behind Houston. Cleveland also hits lefties very good. Baltimore has a lefty going today. Let's go Cleveland and their bullpen to get the money line win at minus 113 here. All right, so Indians on the money line. Hold it together, head. You're almost there. I mean, you are dropping oil and engine parts to get to the finish line, but you're almost there. The last leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes this weekend. Mile and a half, grueling monster race. Are you going chalk or do you see value somewhere else? I'm not going chalk. The test of champions on the mile and a half course here. I'm not going to go the chalk. The favorite is great, but I'm going to actually going to go somewhere you're familiar with here, Jim. A candy ride. Yeah, full. baby. Yeah. Yes. We love, love candy it, ride. Right? You and I love candy ride. Love candy him. ride was Share Believes Dad. Yes. Yes, so I'm going to go rock your world there at plus 425 right now. You can get him. He was great. He was undefeated through the Santa Anita Derby. He's a front runner. I'm going to go him and Known Agenda, two horses who I loved before they were in the Kentucky Derby. They both were bumped and squeezed in the Derby. I like them both here as the fourth and fifth choice. So rock your world at, world at plus 425 and Known Agenda at plus 600. The key here, Jim, is they have the bloodlines. They have the endurance. They um, and that's what this race is all about. So let's go with those two horses on a shot. Candy Ride Head was a bad mother bleeper. Man, mm. what an amazing horse! Such a great horse, but not as good as his gelded son. Shared belief. No, all right, so not. run it back for me, Head. Before I turn you loose, happy birthday, Head. Thanks. Who do you have this weekend? How should they get down? Run it back one more time. All right, I got the Clippers minus two and a half. I got the uh, Nets minus three and a half on Saturday against the Bucks. I have NHL puck, Vegas minus 105. Baseball, we're going to go Cleveland minus 113. And for the Belmont Stakes, we got Rock, uh, Rock Your World, my, our plus 425, and Known Agenda at plus 600. Scott O'Neill is my guest. Scott, great to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm happy. I'm healthy. We're already around past where we finished last year. Sixers are rolling. Life is good. How about you? My man, that's a great answer. I love that. I'm feeling great. I feel really good, and it's good to have you on. Listen, I want to talk to you about the book in a moment, but the Sixers did open up their second-round series, or will, against the Hawks tomorrow. So what do you make of the first round, Scott, and what's the overall playoff experience been like for you as a fan and as a CEO? Well, you know, I've been with this team since uh, for eight seasons, so I've been through the, the hell of the – process era, uh, winning 
28, 17, 10, 18, 28, and then all of a sudden four playoff appearances. So it's nice to be sit atop the East. It's definitely more fun to be a favorite. It's definitely more enjoyable to have home court advantage. And having fans in the building has sent chills up my spine. Scott O'Neill is my guest. He's got a brand new book out called Be Where Your Feet Are. Scott, that was an amazing thing you just said. The hell of the process era. I bring that up because Brett Brown and I used to talk about the process and that time. And the fact that you all knew that it was a process, but that doesn't mean that it didn't take an emotional toll on everybody involved because as competitors, nobody wants to lose. What was it like when you knew you had a process and you had a plan, but you're in a really tough city that's demanding that wants to win and it's just not happening right then? Well, it's just not the city. I mean, it's us. I mean, we are, we're all competitive. competitive. I've, I've been accused of having a competitive problem before, and it, and it took its toll. I mean, our, the, the good news was is we had a vision for the future that was bigger and better than we'd been. We hadn't won 50 games since 2002, so we knew we had to change the way we were. We walked into that team, remember, having two first-round picks over the next five years, a cap team with not very talent. So, so we, were, we were trapped where we were and knew we had to change the trajectory, but it was hard, man. There was pressure coming from like a 22-year-old school aide at my daughter's school, from the media, from the fans, and even from my own household. So, so we were under a lot of pressure. I thought Brett was an extraordinary ambassador for this team and had that team playing hard every night. And you know what? Similar to my time when I was at the Knicks and we had Linsanity, that movement, when I got to the Sixers and we had this movement called Trust the Process, it actually gave the fans something to rally around. It wasn't, we weren't ambivalent anymore. You didn't like, huh, hum. You didn't, meh, this team. You, you might have hated it, but you were passionate. Or you loved it and you were passionate. And that's, that's the start of something special. But the team always showed up under Brett Brown. Always. We played hard and we got after it. As Brett told me one day uh, over a long dinner, he said, I'd, I'd rather fight to the death with spoons than lay down with knives. It's an awesome line. Scott O'Neill joining that us. Great? That is a great line. That is a great line. Now, when we talk about the process, of course, you think about Joel Embiid. The team did announce this week that he's got a small tear of the lateral meniscus in his right knee. So, Scott, what was your reaction when you learned that news? And as an organization, how are you going about dealing with that particular injury? Sure. Well, first, you know, I went to business school, not medical school. So, uh, we have incredible doctors around us. Um, Joel is no longer like the young man. He's a man. And uh, as I found, I've been in this league for 25 years. And the one thing I know for sure is that the older these guys get, the more veteran, veterans they become, the more they understand their own body. Uh, he's anxious to get on the court. He's talked to great medical experts. Um, my first reaction was, oh, no. And my second reaction was, this guy's a warrior. He's the MVP of this league. He does things every single night that I've never seen before, and I cannot wait to get him back on the court. Scott O'Neill is my guest. His new book is called Be Where Your Feet Are. That book is out right now. So, Scott, shifting away from the team for a minute to your story, your dad coached basketball. You grew up loving the game. I had Jay Wright on this show a few days ago. I know your past crossed at Villanova. What was he that like? He cut me from that team. He cut you? Yes. Jay Tell Wright me. called me in his office. He was an assistant for Raleigh Massimino and said, son, this is not happening for you. And you said what in response? Well, you know, they, we just had this drill. Raleigh Massimino was the head coach, and, and he was a bit of a screamer and yeller and a brilliant coach. And they kept two of us throughout the fall to practice with the team. We're kind of practice dummies. And whenever something would go wrong, he would have this drill where you stand on the block and the players would run full steam at you and you had to take a charge. 
And I had Doug West. I don't know if you remember Doug West, but a heck of a player, yes. big body. He went through me first, and I felt like I had died. And then Gary Massey, who you might not remember, was a, just a leaper, like smaller but a leaper. And he literally jumped over me and kicked me in the face. And I'm like, you know what? I need to get back to studying. That's where I need to focus my energy. Because there's only one way I'm getting to this league, and that's as an executive. That's great. Scott O'Neill joining us. So you did play the game, though, and you coached your daughters playing the game, and you've talked about how much you've gotten from the sport. Lay this out for me. What has the sport of basketball done for you and given to you? The sport of basketball, first off, has just taught me life about life and values. It's about how to lead, how to follow, how to win, how to lose, how to compete, how to sweat. I, I love this game. It's given me most of my friends in life that come through the game of basketball. It's given me a connection with my father. Unfortunately, uh, God rest his soul, he passed away. It's the connection I have with my brothers, even when we were slugging out in the backyard. Scott O'Neill is joining us. Now, Scott, in your late 20s, you and a friend started Hoops TV. For those who do not know, what was that, and then what did you learn from that experience? Oh, man, I love that business. So, unfortunately, Hoops TV was in the dot-com kind of boom-bust era. We went out and raised $15 million in ESPN and Foot Action and Safeguard Scientific. I partnered with Seth Berger, one of my dear friends who founded and won the sneaker company at the time. And we set out to merge basketball, hip-hop, fashion, and music. And, um, and we blew up, became the number two site, uh, basketball site in the world behind NBA.com. And then we fell apart. Um, a, a courtesy of yours truly is ineffective management. Um, and what I learned when I became what I'd like to say is out of work, out of luck, and out of money, um, as I was getting foreclosure notices on my house, and my wife was at home with our baby, I had to get myself into gear. And so I had to literally lean on what I'm asking people to do now coming out of COVID is let's be aware and take care of each other. Pick up the phone, text your mother, tell her you love her and what you appreciate about her. Go reach out to an old coach, a mentor, a friend, somebody that helps you in your life. Be aware on Zoom calls when somebody has their video off for two weeks in a row or their mailbox is full or they don't respond to you on text, get to them. Like it is upon us right now. Mental health, anxiety, all that stuff I was struggling with coming out of Hoops TV is a lesson for us all now that we can help each other. We need to be more connected and we need to be more proactive. Scott O'Neill is joining us, which brings me then back to the title of the book, Be Where Your Feet Are. It's a critical phrase. It's probably not the first time our listeners have heard that phrase. How did you first come across it, and why was it something that resonated with you the way it has? You know, we have a certain language. We have language that we use at home, and we have a language we use at work. Uh, Three of the, the things in the book, WMI, which is what's most important, API, which is assume positive intent, um, and, and trust the process. It's all stuff we actually use. Be where the feet are, same thing. And where it means in my house, be where your feet are, is phone down, head up. And that's applicable at home when we walk in after a tough day at work. We've got to tuck our phone in the drawer. When we're, have you ever been at dinner? You sit around, you look around the table at the end of dinner, and everybody's on their phone, and you think, like, I don't have enough time with my family. I don't have enough time with my friends. I don't get enough quality time. Yet we're sitting around a dinner table, and we're all on our phones. Like, it has to change. Like, we have to get better at this. So it's simply that. Phone down, head up. When you say, have you ever been, I mean, that might be a rhetorical question, or everybody listening lives that life. That absolutely is what goes down in my house. Like, so how old are your kids? I've got a 21, 17, and 14-year-old daughters, all daughters. So you can imagine the energy in my house. It's a lot. Phone down, head up. 
phone down, head up. So how do you go about having the discipline and the focus to be present and to be where your feet are? What does that process look like? I will, I will tell you, when I was uh, when, during our 10-win season, I came home one night and I uh, was all grouchy and grumpy. Uh, like I said, I've got, I, I, losing is very difficult for me. I came in and my wife looks me dead in the eye. She's like, are you serious? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, this, this act. I was like, what act? She's like, are you kidding me with this attitude? I was like, did you see the game tonight? She's a big hoop fan. And I said, I said, she said, yeah, I saw the game. I said, did you see us get booed? I said, yeah, I saw you get booed. I said, you, you saw us lose by 20 points, right? She goes, Scott, how many games are you going to lose this year? I was like, she's like, 50? I'm like, I hope it's 50. Said, okay, 60, 70, 70 times, 70 nights you're going to go home, come home like this? Like, this doesn't work for me. And it's not going to work for this family. And so I, I got to tell you, it was like a good wake-up call. We need people in our lives that will tell us the truth. And she loves me enough. She's a tough lady, Lisa. And she's, enough, she's tough enough and loves me enough to tell me the truth. And we've got to help each other. That's the first thing. I, I called a friend of mine after that night, and he said, I, he's like, I, well, I have a worry tree. Don't you have a worry tree? He's like, I, I, every time I come home, I put my hand on a tree, and all my worries fly up to it. I said, you know, I don't have that tree, but I sure as heck want one. And so I instead, I don't have a tree, but I, I use the ride home. And I think we all have to find buffers for ourselves and markers for ourselves. And for me, it's that ride home. I, I howl at the moon. Um, and, uh, and when I get home, I'm a dad and I'm a husband. And, uh, and that's just a discipline that I've committed to. And am I perfect at it? Is that what you're asking? No. Let me tell you. Two nights ago, my wife and I were out to dinner. She looks me dead in the eye. And we're in the, the head, they're in the, like, heat of a playoff race. So, of course, I'm interested in scores. So I looked down at my phone for probably eight seconds. And she says, I'll wait. That's the dagger. <laughs> wow. I'll wait. Looks me right in the eye. I said, no, no, no. I, I'm just, she's like, no, no. That's clearly more important in our conversation. I'll wait. And it's like, look, we need, we need to face the music and we need discipline and we need to get better and we need to hold each other accountable. But in the house, at the dinner table, put the phones down. At night, put the phones down. If you're watching a show together as a family or playing a game together as a family, leave the phones in another room. When we have our, the discipline to do that, we'll, we will be more connected, have richer conversations and have better lives. We will be more mindful. We will be more present. And, Scott, I love that story that she said to you. Hey, listen, by the way, how many games are you going to lose this year? And you said, I don't know, 50, 60, 70. And she said, and you're going to come home every single night like that after one of those losses? <laughs> Quote, that doesn't work for me. That is a great anecdote. I love that. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't like that very much, but I'm glad you yeah, enjoyed it. That's no, I, 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 thank you very much for that, Scott. I, I really enjoyed that. But this I would tell you the same sort of thing goes on in my house, but I'm the one saying it. So, yeah. No, I did enjoy that because I respect her, and that's cool. So, last thing. What is a leadership constitution, and how would you summarize your leadership constitution? Sure. A leadership constitution um, is simply you answer the, these first two questions. I declare that I am dot, 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 and you can count on me to be dot, dot, dot. For me, I'm a leader of, I'm a leader of leaders. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I will do anything, anytime for you as a friend and give the shirt off my back for a perfect stranger. You can count on me to be loyal, intense, push you, hug you, love you, even when you don't want to be pushed, don't feel like being loved, and certainly don't want to be hugged. Thing is, Scott, I mean, this is so cliche, so cliche, but on the topic of leadership really quickly, are great leaders made or are they born? Well, I'll tell you, I, I'm, the, I'm the son of, of two leadership development consultants. So I guess you might are, and, and uh, three of my three brothers are also running companies. 
um, and my sister's about to run one. So I, I would say uh, we have a lot of D- good DNA. Um, on the other hand, I've been a captain of every team I've ever played on growing up as a kid. So I think there's some of that that's inert, but I think a lot of it can be taught and trained. And I, I, I'm generally of the opinion that the best leaders, there is no cookie-cutter approach to leadership. The best leaders understand their authentic self. And if you're a rah-rah guy, be a rah-rah guy. If you're not, don't. You cannot be, pretend to be who you are not. People won't follow you. These Gen Zs today, and I love this next generation, they're smart, they're connected, they're, they, they want to believe in something better than the mundane jobs they have, but they want to see authenticity. They want to see personal connection. They want complete transparency, and that's the new contract we have with, the, with the, this next generation. And they sniff out phony in two seconds. So all those aspiring leaders out there or emerging leaders or those of you who want to run a company or about to run a company – just make sure you know who you are. Spend time figuring that part out and reinforce it. And the Leadership Constitution is a great tool to get you there. I like that. Actually, you ripped my line. I was going to say Gen Z. Man, they'll sniff that out, and they do. He is the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers. He is the CEO of the New Jersey Devils. He is the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, and he is the author of a brand-new book, Be Where Your Feet Are. That book is out right now. Scott, that was great. Really appreciate you and the conversation. Thank you so much for that. Anything, anytime. I'm a huge fan of your work. Keep doing your thing. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Welcome to the jungle, Martinsburg. Welcome to the jungle. What's cracking? It's already Tuesday. It's a short week, which means it's a short month, which means we're already that much closer to the smack off. What's going on? Hope you had a great holiday weekend. Nice to be with you. All right, starting with the association. And a diving tackle by the security. Redskins going to look into hiring. And Rich, you know it is the Washington football team right now, right? Yeah! Mascot's name is Lucky. It is? Really? That thing's got a name. Never mind. Don't answer. I don't care. What I do care about is the fact that Baby said about stepping on Lucky. That might be even dumber than... And stepping on Lucky in the first place. My guest is Andrew Chekets. History at times hasn't been super kind to West Coast teams, so not a lot of sleep, pretty nervous, trying to keep it together, but pretty excited when we heard our name called. I don't know if uh, the listeners all know this, but Jeremy is actually a stay-at-home dad in real life, but his call last week put him in the stay-at-home dad of the jungle. Take that call, turn it into about 50 tweets that I can delete as they get sent to me. Dan Wojcicki, he's back. It's the joy of watching your team that you love like put together a good product while also knowing that eventually it'll it'll let you down and just punch you, you know, square in the junk, I guess. Cal will rip that crown off your head and and beat you with it, it, bitch. I don't really have a whole lot of smack to say today. Jay Wright is the head basketball coach in Villanova. (laughs) You're the best. They'll be killing me for another year on you, but I love it. I love it. I love it. Great talking to you, Jim. Take care, buddy. Hey, Trev, you know old man Tebow over there? He's outselling your jersey. And what are we doing here? What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing here? what am I here for? What am I here for? That's why when James Kelly comes in here with his gigantic head and he says things like that about Anthony Davis, I'm like, come on, man. Now, if a Hall of Famer like Charles Barkley... Street clothes, Davis, because he's always in street clothes. I got no problem with that. Hey, what's good, baby? Street clothes. Street clothes. What's good? My 
goodness. Oh. A missed dunk and an unforced oh. turnover. That is gut-wrenching, given that Damien dragged them all into overtime and then double overtime. Right. It don't matter. We lost again. Dang, that hurts. Talking to Dalvin Cook. I hope Aaron Rodgers get traded. <laughs> you know, I'm not playing against that guy, man. That's it's a nightmare. Do you think that they would trade him? I think they'll be crazy to do it. He's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. Mind-blowing if they do. Wham! Wham! They picked the quarterback and didn't tell me. I quit. Snagger, my beef is when we have friends over to swim. Thanks for the heads up that you are the one that in the pool. You know what? I'm going to play off that beef. I got a beef with those kids back in the day that would take a dump in my pool. And then none of us could use the pool for like six months because of it. You have a big dump. In my pool. You have a big dump. In my pool. You have a big dump. In my pool. Emailed. That's what you call class and no class. Oh, that's what you call class right here compared to no class. That was guards substitute silk pushing the TV cart into the classroom. As Young fires from away. <laughs> and takes him out. That was incredible. How about you ram another down? Dagger in their eye and then dump some salt in that wound. That's pretty much what it was. Ron Rivera, my guest. I was really set on, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we got to do. I'm going to listen to the docs. I'm going to do exactly what I'm supposed to just to get through this and beat cancer. That's really was the mentality. Dietrich, Wise Jr. And of course, the team drafted Mac Jones in the first round. As a team, how do you go about dealing with that? You know, all player personnel stuff goes through Bill, so... Whatever he decides, we're going to roll with it. What, dude, he's not going to check with you? He's not going to ask your opinion? <laughs> no, he's, he's not going to ask you to make that choice? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> CJ McCollum calls himself the shark. Bro, you are not the shark because a shark doesn't have a pubic mustache and steal $30 million a year from an NBA franchise. Why the hell not? Go ahead, give him one. Go. I want you to be very careful on the road. I want you to drive your car directly into a parking lot of a CVS. I want you to walk into that store, ask one of the people who work there, excuse me, uh, what aisle do you keep the prophylactics? Just kidding, Ali. No, I'm not. Can we get the Wisconsin clones to do a weigh-in pre-smack-off? Hey, fatty, fatty, fatty. Here, fatty, fatty, fatty. Come to the scale. Come here, fatty. It's always best to take as opposed to give. You wouldn't believe the stuff that we put on the cutting room floor. I mean, some of that was questionable, to be sure. And then the stuff that didn't make it on air was not questionable at all. There was just no way in hell we could do it. It's a wild, wild time. Mark, what's going on, brother? Hi. I gotta say, dude, I loved my player profile. You absolutely eviscerated me, man. I half expected you to give yourself a golden ticket after that takedown. Scott O'Neill is my guest. Scott, how many games are you gonna lose this year? I was like, she's like, 50? I'm like, I hope it's 50. 70 nights you're gonna go home, come home like this? Like, this doesn't work for me. And it's not gonna work for this family. That is a great anecdote. I love that. Yeah, I didn't like that very much, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Albie, you impregnated a sock to the point where it got up, looked at you, said, thank you for my life. Thanks, Jim. Happy Smack Off Month. Kafka and D. Chamblow. There is no giraffe family. Texarkana. Look at me. I don't take showers. Honey, we got to cut back on the takeout this week. I got to drop 12 pounds. Sincerely, Tito Ortiz. Put your d- back where it belongs. Beaver like chompers. <laughs> Thanks, Romy. Bye. Good night now. In Boston, I'm hoping this is an RSVP. Mark, what's going on, brother? Hi. Jim, first of all, I am in for June 25th, man. I can't wait. I got to say, dude, I loved my player profile. You absolutely eviscerated me, man. I half expected you to give yourself a golden ticket after that takedown. At least give yourself a tongue. All fair criticism and noted the Romo thing was bad and poorly executed. But while I'm talking about failed cameo attempts, Jim, check your DMs. I hit you with a request. 
let me know if you can record something for this guy I'm about to talk about. You know, there's been a lot of talk lately about a savvy old veteran securing his first major at his age. Now, you probably think I'm talking about Phil Mickelson, but it's actually Jeff in Richmond getting through his first major heart surgery in his early 50s. Anyone who's watched Jeff grow knew this was coming. A truly heart-stopping performance by Jeff. The kidney stones on this guy, Jim. Romy, did you say you got your clock cleaned yesterday? What a coincidence. Jeff got the clock cleaned. Did you see LeBron gift his jersey to Devin Booker after getting 47 dropped on him in his house? That would be like Jeff autographing his hospital smock after his last take. Nah, it's cool, man. Just tie up the back. I can see your... Basically what I'm saying, Jeff... Maybe skip the next four smack-offs again. That'll be your second quadruple bypass. Hey, Jimmy, getting ready for the smack-off used to feel like a marathon. You've put the pressure on and made it a sprint this year. But it got me thinking watching the NBA last night. All these low-carb beer commercials peddling garbage like, yeah, I'm going to go run a marathon and then pound a six or a Michelob Ultra afterwards. If I wanted to drink beer-flavored water, I would just pick up a sixer of Swing Lube. What up, Hawk? And let's be honest, if you're pounding a sixer of Mickey Ultras as part of your workout regimen, you're probably the same bag that rolls up to Wendy's or is a triple stack and a large fry and goes, you know what, let me get the Diet Coke today. I'm trying to watch my calories. What up, Rit? How's that chocolate treating you, you pillar of peak performance? You know, Jimmy, I'm going to get out RSVP and bounce. This is normally when I would say, who's got it better than us, but Michigan sucks butt, and I'm trying to get my bad call out of the way so I'm not a playoff P. See you in three weeks, dude. Bye. That boy. Rack him. Mark in Boston. See you in three weeks. Let's go to Philadelphia. John in Philly. What's up with you, John? Hey, Jim. How's it going? Good, dude. How about you? Uh, Down memory lane. I'm a new guy to the dance. Two or three, four years maybe listening. But I've listened to Alvy put up with so much, and I just got to give him a birthday present. This is for you, Alvy. There's a middle-aged dude on the surf today. It's the same old thing as yesterday. He was running for office, didn't go his way. Now he's crying to Rome because Tito took his place. I have listened to Rome as he rants and raves, thinking I'm going to call because I got something to say. And I'm sitting on hold for a part of my day. Then Silk jumps in line, cause he's celebrity. There's a middle-aged dude on the surf today. Ah. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. You knew when he got back to the chorus, that was going to be the end of that. Let's go to Shredminton. Tyler. What's going on, Tyler? Romy, how are you? Good, dude. How are you? I am doing so good, man. And uh, I'm proud to see that you still got that Tyler and Shredmonton game with all the thirsty housewives coming in here lately. So good to see it, man. Anyway, dude, I got to get into this right away. It's a special request from the JTP. That being that some United States airports are considering installing weigh scales to make sure you're not too fat to fly. <laughs> wow, dude. 16 months of absolute hell, and these are the headlines? I mean, honestly, man, how is this even going to work? Are they going to have some little Joe Rogan-type character on the mic doing the weigh-in? Are these human cattle going to give us a little bicep flex while they're up on the scale getting pumped up in front of their kids? Meanwhile, Dad might not make the flight because he's too fat. (laughs) Romy, imagine. Imagine having to go on a weight-cut diet 
to survive a public weigh-in at the airport. Honey, we got to cut back on the takeout this week. I got to drop 12 pounds by Friday to make weight for our flight. I got to get down to 440 or they're going to turn me away. It's beyond pathetic, dude. And you know what else is pathetic, Romy? Stevie Carbone. I mean, dude, if you didn't see this coming from a mile away, then I can't help you. This is a tale that's as old as time, man. An overweight beta male girlfriend hoovering around a group of broads in hopes that one day one will cave and give him a shot because he's a nice guy. Stevie, why didn't you just do what you do every year in the smack off and brag about how many Twitter followers you have? I'm sure that would have worked. And, Romy, I actually got some intel on what Stevie really said that got him in hot water. Stevie hit every one of these girls with this tried and true, you know, they don't call me Stevie Carbone for nothing. <laughs> I'm out, Romy. Tyler and Shredmonton. You know what, dude? You're back. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. James in Portland won a golden ticket yesterday and is back 24 hours later. James, how are you? Jimmy, my man, what's happening? So, hey, long-winded in Medford, quit making Oregon look bad. I'll make us look good here, though. Let's start again with the back row, Jimmy. Baldy, <laughs> you in that black shirt, all I can see is your head. No, just your head. And, Hawk, you know, I felt bad this morning. Well, let's be real. I really didn't feel bad when I saw what you were wearing today. It was just a joke yesterday, bro. You didn't have to go all goth on me and cover up all your tattoos. Can you just roll up the sleeves a little bit? And I don't want you to go running and hiding under beds or anything. And speaking of under beds, Jim, let's talk about what was under Alvy's bed in high school. <laughs> You know, he wasn't a Playboy guy. You know, Albie, you were a penthouse guy. You were a hustler, man. And by the way, think of the socks underneath his bed. They were literally alive. Albie, you impregnated a sock to the point where it got up, looked at you, said, thank you for my life, and ran out your door like a lemming. And last but not least, Mr. James Kelly, big head. Dude, you missed your calling, bro. You should have been a comedian. I mean, Jim, can you imagine James Kelly's jokes? Hey, Jim, knock, knock. Who's there? Big head. Big head who? Big head you. And sometimes people call into radio shows and say, first-time caller, long-time listener. Here is first-time caller, first-time ticket winner. Give me another one, Jimmy. I'm going after Brad. Good night now. 